You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. I'm Aaron Fishman. Last week, Eurobasket 2017 wrapped up, with the tournament culminating in Slovenia's first ever continental championship. Potential 2018 number one overall draft pick Luka Doncic and Eurobasket MVP Goran Dragic led the way. Meanwhile, the Serbians delivered a spectacular runners-up performance as traditional European powers took a step back. Trevor Magnotti will be here helping me cover the most interesting storylines, including how bright 18-year-old Doncic's future figures to be. Hint, pretty bright. Trevor covers all things Zero League for fan-sided's The Step Back, and he also contributes to Fear the Sword, SB Nation's Cavaliers blog. Did you know he lives with four pet tarantulas? As a kid, he always feared spiders. One day in college, Trevor decided to try to dig into why that was the case. After hours of spider research, he fell in love with them, tarantulas in particular. To be exact, our guest owns a Honduran curly hair, a Chilean copper, a Colombian pumpkin patch, and a Mexican red rump. Now let's discuss with Trevor those European humans who play basketball so well. Hey Trevor, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Let's talk about all of this Eurobasket. So many exciting young European players too that NBA fans want to learn more about. It's probably as much for my benefit, the rest of this conversation, as it is for our listeners, but... Let's just start with three to five names or so that you think any self-respecting NBA fan should be comfortable with saying over the coming years. <laughs> yeah, so I get the, I get this question a lot with these European players. Kind of the pronunciation stuff goes kind of all over the place. So I'm just kind of thinking of some of the, some of the big name guys that played in this tournament. Obviously, the big one, um, Slovenia's. Big draft prospect, Luka Doncic, Chetty Ozman for Turkey. In Turkish, that C makes like the CH sound. So it's Chetty, okay. not Seti. Trying to just scan through rosters here and see what else is there. Um, So for Croatia, Boyan Bogdanovic. The J makes kind of a Y sound. And then you got all of the, all of the Serbian guys. They're going to have kind of that itch sound at the end of the name, their name. So like Boban Marjanovic, Bogdan Bogdanovic. So that's a common uh, thing in like Eastern Europe makes the ICH sound. Okay, cool. That's definitely helpful. We're going to be saying Doncic's name a lot over the course of this episode. Mm -hmm. So let's start digging into this Eurobasket, exciting tournament often referred to as the European Basketball Championship, occurs every other year. So a lot going on. I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you is, is there any particular storyline you think is important that kind of flew under the radar this tournament? I think just kind of the vulnerability of uh, the Spanish national team 
and to a smaller extent, the French and Lithuanian teams. Mm-hmm. Only Spain out of those three ended up making the final four when that a combination of that three has kind of dominated this tournament over the last like 10 years. So seeing, you know, seeing some of the NBA stars um, not being able to play for those teams, a couple injuries on the French team, and obviously the big one, Sergio Yule for Spain, um, tore his ACL in the, uh, a couple weeks before the tournament. You know, they started to look, uh, look a little bit vulnerable. You got the Gasols who are getting older. Lithuania's kind of their golden generations completely phased out. Um, Tony Parker and Boris Dia, who have been the heart of France's team, are starting to kind of get phased out too. And in their place, we saw a bunch of younger players who are coming in. We had Finland, who played pretty well, uh, led by Lowry Markkinen, um, rookie for the Bulls. We had Slovenia, obviously, with Luka Doncic win the entire tournament. And Serbia, who Serbia was missing several players from their Olympic team um, that won won the silver medal last year. They were missing seven different players from that team, and a lot of them were rotation players. And to bring in a uh, team led by Bogdan Bogdanovic, who's 25, um, and some of their depth pieces who didn't end up making that Olympic team and still make the final of this tournament goes to show that that was one of the big takeaways for me was that maybe Serbia might be like the new class of Europe, um, where Spain has kind of dominated over the last couple of years. I think that that Serbian team, just with the depth that they have and the talent at the top, they're taking over as like the main group in Europe. Great. And uh, I want to, I have a lot of questions about Luka Doncic, but before I get into that, and you might answer with him, I don't know, but do you have a best or favorite moment or storyline from Eurobasket? Um, I think my, I think my favorite one was just kind of the redemption of Lowry Markkinen. Doncic was was obviously a big story, but for the first part of the tournament in that group stage, Markkinen was the, was the guy. Doncic struggled a little bit at the beginning, and Markkinen came in from day one and was the leading scorer for that Finnish team. And he was a big reason why they had so much success. They had a, um, they have a couple other guys who are pr- who are pretty decent. Eric Murphy, who's been in the NBA before. For example, and Pateri Kopanen, who has been a longtime um, Euroleague guy. So they had a de- decent core, but Markkinen came in on this team and he immediately took charge of the situation. He was he was a, ma- a massive part of their success, basically single-handedly beat France in the group stage in that uh, kind of big overtime upset that was by far the game of the tournament to me. So he had a really good, um, really good tournament and showed a lot that we didn't see from him in his college season at Arizona. So I think that he both kind of helped, uh, helped his team to a lot of success and also helped himself a little bit. Um, I think that he's a guy that I'm now much more excited to see at the NBA level. Whereas I wasn't really before because he didn't look as solid as we had hoped in his one year in college. He was the seventh overall pick in this last draft involved in the Jimmy Butler trade. And over the six games that he played in the tournament, he averaged nearly 20 points per game, shot almost 48% from deep. I think the common perception of his game was that it was pretty one-dimensional and that he was mostly just an outside shooter. Would you agree with that, that he showcased 
more of his post-up game and, and just things all over the court that a lot of people didn't really think that he could do. Yeah, definitely. I think that he showed a little bit more of that off-the-dribble game that I really like and I think is going to be a big part of his game in the NBA. That's kind of his calling card, whereas, uh, you know, Porzingis has like the rim running, the offensive rebounding, and the rim protection to fall back on. Dirk had obviously had the killer post game. So the guys of his kind of guys with his kind of basic skill set where they're the seven foot player who's uh, who shoots a ton of threes, they need to be able to do something else to stay on the floor. Otherwise they're, you know, at a base, at a base level, you know, they, they just become Ryan Anderson. So I think that Markinen has some potential to be like a top or second best scorer on a team because of that. And also I think that his, his defense was way better. He looked way more in tune with what Finland was trying to run. Um, he looked a little bit more athletic compared to his peers on the floor. Um, did a really good job rebounding when that was a that was a little bit of a weakness in in college. Still not really a shot blocker, but I think that he kind of equipped himself enough that if he's this good on offense, he doesn't need to be like a like a killer stopper on defense to be successful in the NBA. He showed that he can at least stay on the floor, and that's all he really needs with that offensive potential even though there were some good nba players that didn't compete my understanding is that the level of competition was still pretty high but is there some concern with kind of overrating the small sample size on this scale and thinking that it um, naturally translates to the nba is there a little bit of a worry there with him for example Oh, absolutely. There's a there's a little bit of a worry with all of the guys who look good. Mm -hmm. um, there is a natural athleticism gap between the NBA and this this type of tournament. You know, most teams outside of like Spain um, and France have mostly or have like maybe two to three NBA level players, and the rest are like Euro League players or below. So I think that you know. Guys who have that kind of NBA tier level of athleticism, they're going to look a lot better than they do in the NBA. Like Goran Dragic, who's like a mid-level point guard in the NBA, was by far the best player in the tournament. Jonas Valanciunas, who has had a ton of struggles in his Raptors career, was Lithuania's best player by far. You see, yeah. you saw like you saw like a 37 year old Pau Gasol who really hasn't looked like himself in the past couple of seasons um, have a pretty dominant tournament offensively. So like there is a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a gap. Things aren't going to translate directly, but I think that the one thing that you can kind of take away is in terms of strength and in terms of kind of the the basketball IQ stuff. That stuff's pretty directly translatable. European players kind of have it the same. Level level of strength, particularly in the bigs, and they play with the same or in some cases even better um, schemes and strategies than you'll see in the NBA. And that's kind of how they overcome that athleticism. So I think in Markinen's case, I don't take a ton away from the fact that he looked way more athletic. Of course he did. He was against, um, he was playing against kind of athletes who are similar to his level. But the fact that he was able to hold his own strength wise playing the five and the fact that he was able to kind of compete a little bit more and looked to kind of take charge of an offense, I think that stuff is going to be translatable a lot better 
And that's why I still kind of take away some positives for him from this tournament and don't just completely dismiss it. Nor do I think he's the next coming of Kristaps. Yeah, that's definitely really good context. His performance in the tournament, at the very least, is, is a good sign moving forward with regard to his potential for a young, rebuilding Bulls team. So now to 18-year-old Luka Doncic, Slovenian youngster. He was teamed up with Goran Dragic, whom you alluded to earlier, who was named Eurobasket MVP. Doncic wasn't the most efficient in terms of shooting over the tournament, but scored nearly 15 points per game, over 8 rebounds, 3.6 assists in 9 games in the tournament. In the semifinals, as Slovenia dominated Spain, he posted near triple-double numbers with 11, 12, and 8. In the previous round, he scored 27 points on 14 shots against Porzingis in Latvia. So obviously, you can tell by the tone of my voice, I'm getting excited about this. And a lot of people are. What's impressed you the most about what he's doing at the ripe age of 18? He was born in 1999. I feel like I'm just getting really old saying that. Yeah, exactly. And I, th- I think the big thing to take away, especially if you're not, if you weren't um, kind of aware of him before this tournament, is the fact that he's 18 and he's playing this big of a role on a team in this tournament, which is basically like the second tier below the Olympics in terms of international basketball. That's never really happened before. Really, the only player that I can think of who has played this big of a role on a Eurobasket team at his age is Pau Gasol. And that's no, that's no small comparison. Pau is by far the most productive young player that we've ever seen in Europe. And Doncic is at that level. Um, so the fact that he w- was even playing in this tournament, much less starting, much like must having like a major role on this team is just fascinating. I think the one single skill particularly that I'm most impressed with, and this is the reason that he's in the conversation to be a number one pick um, is just, he's a better passer than anything we've seen probably since Chris Paul came out of college. Um, the, his ability to pick spots, his ability to um, to make every pass that you need to make on the floor, especially out of the pick and roll. He can hit all those little dump off passes to the big, um, whether it's a pocket pass or, or passing over the top. He can hit that uh, that shooter in the corner coming off of the high screen better than anybody I've ever seen at his age. He's really good passer in the open floor. He makes smart passes, kind of swinging it around the perimeter. Um, he just has one of the best passing skill sets that I think I've ever seen. And even though he's not the most athletic guy, I think that he's got a future as, a, as an NBA point guard because he's 6'7". He has this brilliant passing ability, um, and he has enough smarts and enough other skills to kind of build off of that, that I think he's got a, he's got a brilliant future um, as, as kind of an NBA-level combo guard. That's high praise comparing his passing to Chris Paul. And I didn't watch any live action of the tournament, unfortunately, but some of the replays I saw with the vision that he exhibited, it was just phenomenal. Something that I don't think I've ever seen of someone that young. You did mention that he could be potentially the number one overall pick. Correct me if I'm wrong, I believe he would be the first perimeter player from Europe drafted number one overall. There have been big men. 
so much can change in just a year. But what do you think his chances are of supplanting someone like Michael Porter Jr. or Marvin Bagley III as next year's first overall pick? I think his chances are pretty good. I think the the fact that um, the fact that he's playing at such a high level in Europe, I think, gives him a little bit more um, benefit because he's going to get the exposure that a guy or the guys who have been at that level in the past, like Christoph Porzingis, wasn't playing Euroleague basketball, um, and he wasn't playing like a major major role on a Euroleague team. Um, Andre Bargnani was playing a major role for his team when he was in Italy, but he wasn't really playing at, at that top level. And also the exposure to Euroleague for Americans wasn't as high. Um, Doncic is kind of in a unique storm where he's getting all of the spotlight in Euroleague. He's one of the, he is one of the stars in that league this season, especially with Yule out. And he's going to have a spotlight on him like we haven't seen really before from European players. So I definitely think he's got a shot at it. I still have Porter Jr. as the number one player in this class, um, but that could easily change, especially if he kind of runs into the same thing that the last two number one picks have had because he's going to Missouri and his team may not be very good. And Bagley might just get might just get squeezed out a little bit by the depth of talent that um, the Duke has. Um, so I, I am kind of interested to see how well he's able to play with all these other star recruits around him um, that don't really fit well together. So I think Doncic is in the best team situation. I think that he's going to get the enough exposure to really warrant it. Um, it's just, it's just kind of, I think, a, a matter of kind of how the other stars in this class um, end, end up performing. I think um, I think there's four players in this class right now who could legitimately get the uh, get pick number one because um, I'll throw DeAndre Ayton at Arizona into that group as well. But mm-hmm. and I think they've all kind of got even even shots at it because Doncic uh, Doncic has kind of the unique kind of. IQ skill set. Porter's just a phenomenal athlete and looks kind of like he has maybe some uh, Kevin Durant potential as a shooter. Aiton's just a physical freak. Um, and Bagley's obviously um, kind of one of the most skilled fours we've seen come out in the last few years. So I think that all of them have a shot, but Doncic is definitely right in that conversation. Um, and I think that's because of his exposure. Okay. With his game appearing so multifaceted, especially for someone so young, do you think there are any particular parts of his game that are in most need of improvement right now? Yeah, the big thing is that his uh, his finishing at the rim isn't isn't really great, and he doesn't really have a path to being like a number one scorer in the NBA quite yet. Um, he's got a little bit of an athleticism disadvantage from guys who normally get that billing as kind of this all around wing scoring star. Right now, um, he struggled a little bit in this tournament finishing um, at the rim against contact. He struggled a little bit with some decision-making. His shooting is good, but it's not good enough to the point where it's a legitimate threat off the dribble. Um, He kind of needs to figure out another way for him to be able to have that volume score um, potential, whether that's continuing to hone his ability to kind of craftily draw fouls at the rim, whether it's continuing to work on his strength and just become an elite finisher, whether it's continuing to work on the shooting to become like a Damian Willard type that can just pull up from anywhere. Um, it's one It's one of those things he needs to develop before he can truly be, I think, a, a guaranteed star 
His floor is pretty high, uh, meaning that I think at the base level, he's going to be an NBA rotation player because of the skill set that he has now. Um, but he needs to continue to build on that skill set and continue to improve to really reach that potential, which seems to be that kind of number one scorer um, who can who can create on volume and, all, uh, and also you know lead his team in scoring night after night. When Ricky Rubio was coming up, I think he is maybe a guy who is kind of similar in that he was seen as a wonderkind and he had been training with his team for a long time since I think being an early teen. Doncic started training with Real Madrid since he was 13. His teammate with Slovenia, Goran Dragic, had this to say about Doncic. I've seen a lot of players, they get hyped, and then they kind of lose control. It gets in their heads. In a few years, you don't even hear from them anymore. I don't think that's going to happen with Luka. I'm curious, from your perspective, is there any real worry about just the hype train kind of derailing him? Or do you think, given that he's the son of a pro basketball player, he's been training with Real Madrid for so long that he's uniquely built for this and that there's not really much cause for concern? Yeah, I'm not really concerned with that because a lot of it is kind of the hype going to going to his head, um, and he's not really a type, the type of player who's going to do that. I my pet comparison for him is is Ray Allen and kind of his mentality in that he's he's almost kind of a sociopath um, in that he's continually like at the gym, continually work uh, like working so out. So it's a compliment in this case. Yes, because um, he's <laughs> yeah he he's like very he's very ritualistic um he's he's one of the hardest workers that that you'll see um at his age um you know he he has never lost that work ethic or that ability to just kind of bust his butt and really kind of give that effort his motor is fantastic and i th- and i think he's very driven um to fulfill his uh uh, potential. I think a lot of that comes from having his his dad be a former Euro League player, and also a lot of it comes from the European system. I mean, they they teach that, um, especially over in um, over in Eastern Europe, where he's from, in Slovenia. Like he, where he kind of started coming up. Um, and, the, and the people that he's been around throughout his development, he's in a place where they focus on developing the skills that he has and also developing kind of the work ethic that he has. He's, he's getting pushed a lot in a way that um, some American players who kind of reach this level don't end up being pushed to that level consistently. So I think he's very driven. I think that he's going to continue to work hard. He's never going to be a guy that's going to coast. I think he's going to be fine in that regard. Preparing for this, I also learned that former Timberwolf and Spurs big man Rosho Nesterovic is his godfather. Did not Mm -hmm. know that. It's interesting. Um, So just quickly, though, if you don't mind, spend a little time talking about Goran Dragic because, as we mentioned earlier, he won Eurobasket MVP and Doncic is getting way more of the attention. Deservedly so, given just his outlook and potential. But I think Dragic deserves some time here. At least one question. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, he was phenomenal in the in this tournament, and he's kind of one. Of, he's kind of one of my favorites. Um, 
in the NBA in the point guard position because he's kind of one of those guys that he had that big season. I, mean, I think it was 2013-2014 where the Suns almost made the playoffs and he was kind of the driver of that borderline um, all-star selection. And he kind of fell off the map after he was traded to Miami because the Heat never really or have never really been that solid um, with him at the helm, but he's still really good. Like he's still probably one of the top 15 point guards in the league. And I think that he showed that here, just his ability to change directions, attacking off the dribble, his defensive capabilities were really on display here. Um, I think that he did a really good job passing and weeding this offense. He's a guy who's been who's been here a ton of times before, um, and finally had like the talent around him to be able to to be able to have this success. I think that he's kind of a guy that floats under the radar at the NBA level, and it was really nice for him to be able to kind of show out like this in what is probably going to end up being his last international competition. Just a quick question about some of the more traditional European basketball powers. So you mentioned Spain earlier. They went 8-1, and one, and they have a little bit of an aging core, it seems like, from my perspective. But they still easily finished with the best point differential of any country in the tournament. So Spain and France, who was eliminated in the round of 16 and went 3-3. Three and three. But it, from everything I've read, they have just a, a constant stable of young guys coming in that are good. So um, how do you project the outlook for both of those countries moving forward in European play? I think Spain's going to be fine. I think I think that they've got enough kind of young players that have some potential that they're going to they're going to be able to you know stay at, at an elite level. Um, the Gasols are probably going to be off the team in the next two to four years, just be due to their age. Pau is probably going to retire. Mark um, will kind of start falling off um, probably in two to three years. So um, there's a little bit of a worry about the uh, about the uh, the top level for them, but at the same time, I mean, Yule is still a pretty solid player. You've got you're going to have Rubio. You're going to have um, the Herningona his brothers who were fantastic in this tournament. Both Wancho and Willie were both really good. Alex Abrinas looks like he's going to be a, a promising player. Um, so I think that they, I think that they're in a good spot. France, I'm a little bit nervous about just because a lot of their young talent are bigs. And they kind of are lacking in the guard depth, um, particularly defensively behind Nando DiColo, who used to play for the Raptor, Raptors and Spurs, and now he's with um, now he's with Seska Moscow and a top three Euroleague player. Um, so he's kind of the star going into the future. But um, as far as their young talent goes, I mean, it's Frank Nitilakina and a bunch of bigs, basically, like Gershon Yabasele, um, Kevin Serafin, um, who played in this tournament. Um, they, they've got like a stable of pretty nice, pretty nice big men, but I don't think they've got the guard depth to be able to hang. So I could definitely see France dropping off in the next couple, um, next couple of years. Um, Spain, I think, is going to stay at the same level, but I think they're getting caught by Serbia too. I think Serbia is going to be kind of one one A with Spain here in the in the next few years, and the wild card here of course is Latvia who um who with Christos Porzingis and D- Davis Bertans um and some of their young guys they look scary um as, as you head towards the Olympics in 2020. That was good timing you cued me up for a Latvia question so in your wrap-up for the step back you talked about Latvia and 
not just because of Porzingis, but there are a lot of other reasons you cited for why, in your words, they're going to be a problem for opponents in the future. Basically, why is that? What do you see that as their strengths moving forward? Well, I think any time that you can build around a guy like Porzingis, who is just so different from the majority of your traditional centers in Europe, you're going to have an easier time um, creating matchup disadvantages. They're kind of unique in that their core, um, which is basically the Bertans brothers, um, Davis and his brother Doris, um, Giannis Tima, who's a draft and stash player for the Magic, and Porzingis, they've got three guys who can kind of switch multiple positions across, across the front court. Um, You've got Porzingis, who who's going to be impossible for uh, opposing fives to guard, but and can also protect the rim. You've got Tima, who can body up bigger players that Porzingis might struggle with because he's one of the strongest players in Europe. Um, and you've got Bertans playing as a as a creator out of the backcourt. Um, Doris, that is. So they, I think, just have a lot of defensive versatility. They've got a lot of guys who can shoot the three. You're, they're going to drag um, traditional big men out to the perimeter, which is going to open up driving lanes for other players on their team. And they've just got a pipeline of really solid young players. Um, they've got Roland Smiths, who uh, was kind of their sixth man in this tournament. He's just 22. Anzes Paseknicks, who is a first-round draft pick by the Sixers, um, he didn't play in this tournament, but he's 21. Rodion's Kuruks, who's going to be a player drafted in this upcoming draft, he's only 19. So there's a ton of young talent that is going to fill in on this roster, too. Um, and the sky's the limit for them, especially if Porzingis continues to develop on the curve that he's working towards, because he could potentially be a uh, top five, top 10 player in the NBA in, in two, three years. And with the depth that they have behind that, that's almost unstoppable. With the defensive interchangeability and the length of some of these guys, it kind of sounds like the Warriors of Europe almost. Yeah, definitely. Like everybody can shoot threes. Everybody can kind of switch and defend. They're just fantastically coached too. Um, their, their coach, um, Einars Bogatskis, he is a really solid kind of young coaching guy in Europe um, coached Maccabi Tel Aviv last year. Um, and I, th- I think that he's, he's going to do wonders for the, for this team kind of getting them in the right spots. Um, and obviously when you've got, um, when you've got a guy who's on the Spurs, you've in Bertans, you've got a guy who's as talented as Porzingis. Um, you're getting both the strategy and the talent level to be able to succeed. With this tournament, the games were pretty bunched up and also really close together with the beginning of the domestic seasons in these various countries. Detail for me just the scheduling issues you saw and what the prospects are of FIBA fixing those ahead of future tournaments. Yeah, so that, that was one thing I wrote about in my takeaways. I found that the Eurobasket tournament weed up um, was about a month long. You had teams practicing every day, basically, that they didn't have games. And you had them playing like seven, eight friendly matches against other countries. Part of that's for like an en- entertainment value thing. Part of it's for a tune-up thing. But it ended up costing some of these teams a little bit. Obviously, the big one is Spain, who ended up losing one of their star players to an ACL injury during a friendly against Belgium. Um, 
And, you know, we saw it a few other places. Giannis Antetokounmpo got pulled from Greece because the, uh, the Bucks didn't want him potentially risking injury. Ditto for Milos Teodosic in the Clippers, who um, he kind of pulled out at the last minute because of some nagging issues. The Turkish team led by Chetty Ozman, they just got gassed. Like they had a they had a lot of close games in the group stage. And then they came up against Spain in the round of 16 and they physically looked like they were exhausted um, because they played, I think, six games in nine days or something like that. So I think that they kind of need to they kind of need to space things out a little bit, remove some of those friendlies before the tournament, at the very least, reduce some of the schedule or some of the practicing issues. And then also making this uh, tournament at a central location would be helpful. Um, it was played kind of all across Europe, group stage games in Finland, in Turkey, in Israel, and that caused a lot of traffic from one spot one spot to another so I felt that um, I felt that they kind of could do a little bit better job of mate of lightening the travel load lightening the schedule load and basically just helping to make sure that the product that's actually being put on the floor is players playing at their best I feel like that that's something that doesn't really get um, get done as much as it should in Europe they have some scheduling problems in the regular season too so it's definitely not just FIBA but um, this Eurobasket tournament kind of put those things on display highlighted by that Yule injury that was pretty clearly um, due to, due to some fatigue on his end because he had just played basically the equivalent of an NBA regular season gotten one month off of rest and was immediately back to practicing every day I have just one final question for you and I really do appreciate you fitting us into your busy schedule you know so much about Euro basketball this has been extremely educational for me and I hope for our listeners as well. The last thing that I wanted to ask about, it's a three-part question, but you can just run through it quickly. There are all these incoming NBA rookies that fans of various teams are curious about what their projected impact will be. Chetty Osman, we've mentioned him throughout for the Cavaliers, Milos Teodosic for the Clippers, you just mentioned as well, Bogdan Bogdanovich for the Sacramento Kings, Vladi Divac and company seem to be very excited about him. Just realistically, I know they're all rookies, but what do you see for each of them briefly, if, if you can? So o- Osman, I think is gonna is gonna be a guy that's gonna get some development time in Canton um, with the Cavs G League team. Um, he's just kind of squeezed out by the depth of their roster. Um, they've got a lot that's of threes. They got Jay Crowd. Yeah. Exactly. So like when he when he was signed, he looked like he was probably going to be a rotation player for them. Now he's probably going to get some development time. I think that he's probably got he's got a ceiling as like a really solid three and D player at the NBA level. Um, and he's he's going to be pretty good. Um, Bogdanovich, I think, is kind of the star of this incoming kind of import class. Um, I think he's a potential rookie of the year candidate. Um, I think he's going to be that good. We saw in this tournament, he was the number one scorer for his team. Um, He was the number one scorer for the EuroLeague champions, Fenerbahce. He's a really good off the dribble creator, really good, um, really good shooter, competes well defensively. Um, I like to say he's probably better than Buddy Heald at all the things Buddy Heald is good at. Um, And if Heald is kind of the guy for Sacramento going into the season in terms of their young development, Bogdanovich has uh, has potential to be, you know, maybe one of their one of their best players. Um, so I think he's going to have some rookie of the year chances. Tadosich, I think he's going to help um, kind of create some continuity 
in LA, they're breaking on a lot of new players and just his play style compared to Chris Paul on offense. He plays in a similar, in a similar way where he's so hyper focused on kind of orchestrating things and setting the table for his teammates. Defensively, he's going to be a train wreck, but he's a really, he's a really talented offensive player. And you stick him next to Patrick Beverly, um, who they used to be teammates together and uh, playing in Greece. And you stick him next to Beverly and, the, and uh, that's a pretty solid back core combination particularly on offense this was fun thanks so much yeah absolutely